Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse number 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. So we're going to begin looking at faith's examples. Tonight we'll look at Abel. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand uh, the um, material here. Lord, more important, help us to go forth and live what we have heard. And Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who is unclear about salvation and faith's role in it, may that be cleared up. Lord, maybe for someone here tonight, they're saved, but this will help them to have a deeper understanding of their salvation. And they'll be able to more clearly explain it to someone who has questions. And then, Lord, may we all be encouraged to not only be saved... Uh, because most of us, if not all of us here are, uh, but Lord, help us to go forth and live in a way that is representative of a, of a true Christian faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so the book of Hebrews, uh, as has been talked about for months now, I believe we began this book back in June of, uh, of 2019. So we've been at this for six or seven months now. Uh, we've missed a few weeks as I've been out of town, but uh, for the most part, we've gone over this for, I'd say, a solid six months, and we have learned that this was not written to Gentiles. This book was written to Jews. There's plenty of things that us Gentiles can glean from and get out of this, but what is it doing? What is, what is the book trying to accomplish? It's trying to take apart the idea of worshiping Judaism or the elements of Judaism, and instead putting the focus on Christ. Now, I would say the Gentile Judaism is Catholicism. And that would be the struggle because Judaism had a lot of ceremonialism in it. And we know Catholicism has a lot of ceremonialism in it. And in the Judaism world, they worship sacrifices. And in the Gentile world, they bow down to idols and Altars And uh, in Judaism, they lifted up the patriarch of the Old Testament. In Catholicism, they lift up the patriarch of the New Testament. And they have an idol to St. Jude and an idol to St. Philip and St. Matthew and all of these idols. And they even take the Virgin Mary and they, they have turned her into a goddess and, and they're worshiping her. Now, what makes it difficult in Judaism is that for a time, the priests were important and the sacrifices were important, and the prophets and priests were important, and all of those things were important, but all of those things were shadows that pointed to Christ, and the emphasis, the worship, did not need to be put on the elements of Judaism. They needed to be put on Christ. And then uh, the same thing's true in Catholicism. Uh, what they're oftentimes worshiping are things that are good. They're just not meant to be worshipped. Hey, Mary was a great woman. If you're a female here this evening, you ought to be able to die in the Bible and learn a whole lot about how to be a godly woman from the life of Mary. She was a woman who was pure. She was a woman that was devoted. She loved the Lord. But Mary is not supposed to be worshipped. And we see the error here. The same and why? Because Satan is the author of confusion. He loves to take something good and pervert it. And pervert it. Now, what is the author of Hebrews trying to do? Is he trying to give us, is he trying to take these characters and put them up on a pedestal so we can go, ooh, ah, 
Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Rahab. Ooh, they're in the hall of faith. No, no, no. In fact, he is attempting to do the exact opposite. He is taking some folks that they have put on a pedestal, and he is trying to say the only reason why you even know who they are is because they lived a life of faith. They weren't hung up in the ceremonialism and all of the ordinances of Judaism. No, they are where they are. You know their names. Their their names are recorded in Scripture because of their strong faith. And so he's putting the emphasis on faith. And so we're going to look at these one at a time. And I think what we'll find, I will, I'll know this a little more the deeper we get into this. I know it begins with Abel. I assume this is going to continue. But what we're going to find is a lot of repeating back from earlier in the book. You remember he starts out in the book talking about how that Jesus is better than the angels. And Jesus is better than the prophets. And he, one item at a time, he shows how Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior. Well, now, as we look at these people, we're now we're going to probably, I know we're going to do it tonight, but with others, we're going to end up going back into Hebrews and he's going to, he's going to sort of tie it all together. He's going to neatly put it all together and show how that it's about faith in Christ. Jesus is better. Jesus is better chapter after chapter after chapter. Now, how does a person get to heaven? They get to heaven through faith. Through faith. That's how it's been done. So let's begin tonight with Abel. And let's jump in. And we're going to be doing a lot of flipping back and forth between Hebrews 11.4 and Genesis chapter 4. So I have a marker in my Bible for Genesis 4. I'd recommend that you put a marker at Hebrews 11, verse 4, and a marker at Genesis chapter 4. And that way we can... We can flip back and forth here. Let's jump into the outline and, and notice Abel's faith. Notice, number one, the purity of Abel's faith. The purity of Abel's faith. Look at me at verse number four of Hebrews chapter 11. It says here, by faith, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh. Now, let me just uh, throw this out real quick. When I study the Bible, which I do every week of my life, when I study the Bible, the very first thing I do, so this is meant to help you know how to study the Bible, all right? The very first thing I do is I pick a passage that I want to understand, and I read it ten times in a row. I read it slowly. I read it carefully. I will read a passage ten times in a row. And what I will find is that by the tenth time, my eyes are beginning to become open to things that I have never seen before in that passage. So the very first thing I do when I want to study a passage is I read it ten times in a row. The next thing I do is I either underline in my Bible or I take a note card out and I write down on a piece of paper the words in that passage or verse to me, that stand out as being words I need to dive into and understand. So, for instance, look at verse 4. In my Bible, I have the words, by faith, circled. By faith, Abel offered. 
offered is marked. Uh, unto God a more excellent sacrifice. The word sacrifice is marked. Uh, uh, then came, by which he obtained witness. What does that mean, he obtained witness? That he was righteous. Well, uh, how does that tie back into faith? We need to study that. God testifying of his gifts. Where does, the, Genesis 4, where does it talk about him offering up gifts? Well, what does that mean? So we need to dive into that. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. That phrase, being dead yet speaketh. What does that mean? And so we read and read and read. And the deeper you know your Bible, the quicker these things will come to you. But sometimes, even if you've been studying the Bible for 30 years, you'll come across something. You'll go, what is that? You'll scratch your head and you'll be left to wonder. The more you read and cross-reference, uh, the better that it comes. So that is where I begin and study. I'm not going to stand here tonight and give you every detail of how I study, but those are two uh, things that will help you get started. The purity of Abel's faith. Notice that verse 4 begins, by faith, Abel. Letter A, notice, his faith offering was excellence. His faith offering was excellent. Look back at uh, chapter 4, or chapter 11 of verse 4 again. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent, excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, I need to make sure we all understand this. The emphasis is not to be put on offering. The emphasis is to be put on faith. On faith. By faith, Abel made this offering. The offering was not just done uh, to show God, look how hard I can work. No, the offering was done by faith. And so uh, uh, his offering, his faith offering was labeled excellent. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 5. I mentioned earlier that we're going to be tying in uh, uh, truths from earlier in the book. Uh, back into chapter number 11. It's all sort of being tied together here. Jesus is being compared to the priesthood. And you may remember way, way back here, we looked at Melchizedek. And we talked about how that Jesus is from uh, the lineage of Melchizedek. He is not from the Levitical lineage. He's from a perfect lineage. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, gifts and sacrifices for sins. So what was the job of the priest to offer gifts and to offer sacrifices? And so go back to chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel offered what? He offered two things. He offered a more excellent sacrifice. Further down, it says God testifying of his gifts. So his offering was an offering. It was an offering of sacrifice and it was an offering that was a gift. In the Old Testament, Leviticus lays out five offerings, five main offerings that were performed and the rules for those offerings were laid out. Uh, sin offering, trespass offering, uh, there was a burnt offering, there was a peace offering, and there was a meat offering. Wow, I got them all. Whew, I was starting to sweat there. That I was going to miss one. Um, and some of those were meant to be sacrificial and others were meant to be Gifts, meaning I'm bringing a sacrifice because of my guilt. Others are meant to be a offering because I am thanking God for something good that he has done in my life. I'm consecrating my life to God. So his offering was labeled excellent. Why was his offering labeled excellent? Because, please don't miss this, because he was obedient. He was obedient. How did... How did Abel know what to bring? 
How did Abel know what the offering was supposed to be? The book of Leviticus had not yet been written. In fact, no scripture had been written. My whole life, in Sunday school, as a little boy, as a young man, I heard it taught that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God took a little lamb, and he sacrificed that lamb, and he took the clothes, or took the, took the wool, and he gave them clothes. How many of you have heard this before? Do you know it doesn't say that in Genesis 3? It does not say that Jesus or God offered up a lamb. It doesn't say that anywhere. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why that's taught. I can't find that in Scripture. So the question then comes, how did Abel know to offer up a lamb? And here is, here is what I will tell you. This is my opinion. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to try to lay out some background as to how I got this opinion. I believe God verbally told Adam and Eve, and maybe even Cain and Abel, what it was they were to offer. I believe that. You say, well, well, how do you know that? Or why would you think that? Here's why. In the book of Job, Job tells his friend, he says, I know my Redeemer liveth and that he will stand at the end of the earth. Um, Job was the first book of the Bible written, but he knew that there was a Redeemer and he knew a little bit about eschatology or the doctrine of end times. How could have Job known those things? There was no scripture for him to study. Clearly, God had laid out for them, uh, uh, for those prior to scripture, uh, uh, the gospel plan. Now, were all the details there? No. Did they know what the Messiah's name would be? No. Did they know how he would die? No. But they knew that he would die. Let me give you another piece of evidence here. Do you remember what God told Eve? When he was handing out her punishment, he said to her, uh, the serpent, speaking of the serpent, he, he is going to bruise your heel, but you're going to do what? Speak to me here. What, what are you going to do, Eve? You're going to crush his head. You guys awake tonight? Some of you looking at me like, Pastor, I have no idea. Go back and read Genesis chapter 3, okay? Uh, you're going to crush his head. What does that mean? That means that the serpent is going to, he's already bruised your heel. He got you to sin. And you're going to crush his head because you're going to give birth to a child. And way down the lineage, that child is going to crush the head of the serpent and bring redemption and victory to mankind. Do you see how God is laying out for Adam and Eve and, 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 and his descendants a plan of redemption? Well, why would he not explain to Cain and Abel, you are to bring a sacrifice, and that sacrifice is to be these details. Now, we don't get that conversation recorded in Scripture, but I think it's safe to assume that Abel didn't just guess and get it right, that Abel got it right because he had been told what to do. His faith offering was excellent. Why? Because he obeyed. He obeyed. Do you remember Saul? When uh, he came back, uh, Samuel came to see King Saul. And he had been commanded to kill all of the Amalekites and all of the animals and all, just, just destroy it all, burn it all down to the ground. And, 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 and Samuel came in to Saul's palace and he says to Saul, he says, what is that bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And you know what Saul's, King Saul's response was? I kept these, the choicest, for sacrifice. And Samuel looked at King Saul and he said, to obey is better than to sacrifice. 
to obey. Look, God does not want your sacrifice as much as he wants your obedience. If you're serving the Lord, but you're not being obedient to the Lord, he would rather you obey and not serve than to serve and not obey. He wants your obedience. Now, if you really want to obey the Lord, you need to be serving him. But a lot of people are serving on Sunday, the Lord on Sunday, and they're serving the devil on Monday. And that's not living in obedience. His faith offering was excellent. Letter B. His faith offering was endorsed. Look back at verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness. He obtained witness. Now, I had those words in my Bible are marked. He obtained witness. What does that mean? That means his offering was endorsed. There was a witness that signed off on it. How many of you here have ever needed a notary, notary public, a public notary, right? Sign off on something. You know what that is? That is a endorsing witness that what you're telling is the truth on that paper. So there was a, there was a witness, there was an endorsement that what he offered was correct. Turn over to Genesis chapter four and let's look at verse number one. And Adam knew his, uh, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Look here. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. His faith offering was endorsed. Um, uh, Whatever you do for the Lord, it needs to be done by faith. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you know that there are a lot of Christians doing the right thing with the wrong motive and they're doing it for the Lord and God does not endorse it because they're not doing it by faith. For me to get up here and teach tonight and not be trusting in the Lord that I'm going to convey the truths that he wants me to convey, uh, that is sin. That's me bringing an offering to the Lord that he does not want. That's me, that's me bringing my work to the Lord, not bringing faith to the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Abel's faith, Abel's faith offering was endorsed. Letter C, notice, his sins were erased. His sins were erased. Look back at verse number 4 of Hebrews chapter number 11. By faith, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. He was righteous. Was he righteous because he brought an offering? Yes or no? Why was he righteous? Because he had faith. Now, I want to get kind of technical with you this evening, so stay with me, all right? The the theme in Hebrews 11 is that faith makes us righteous. Faith makes us righteous. Is having faith in Jesus Christ enough to save someone? That's a trick question, isn't it? What's Romans 10, 9, and 10 tell us? 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. Right? So what is the confession of the mouth? It is the median of expressing our faith. Is that a work? Is it a work to pray uh, and call out to the Lord? Uh, Again, we're getting really technical here. Abel's offering did not save him, but he needed to bring the offering. Are you with me? The offering was necessary. Putting that lamb up there and bringing that offering was necessary. But it was not the offering that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. It is not your prayer. While it's necessary to pray, it is not your prayer that saves you. It is your faith that saves you. Are you with me? A lot of times people put emphasis on the things they do to get them righteous. And by the way, that word righteous there, that does not mean that he was perfect. That means that God had cleared his sin record in heaven and made him righteous in heaven. Why? Because all the way back to one of the first salvations recorded in the Bible, Abel had Faith And that faith made him righteous. The purity of Abel's faith. He was obedient in his offering. He was, uh, uh, his offering was endorsed. And then we see that because of that, his sins were erased. Number one, the purity of Abel's faith. Let's contrast Abel with Cain. Number two, the problem with Cain's faith. The problem with Cain's faith. We're going to be in Genesis 4 exclusively for point number 2 here. Uh, Go with me to Genesis chapter 4 and look at verse number 3. Notice letter A, his rebellion. His rebellion. Genesis 4 and verse number 3, we see Cain's rebellion. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. I don't question Cain's sincerity here. He didn't bring it to the devil. He didn't bring it to his parents. He brought this offering unto the Lord. Now picture that you have two brothers standing uh, in close proximity of each other, and they both have built this offering, and uh, on one platform or one altar you have a lamb that's there and killed and the next bit or the next been slit and blood's running off the edge of the altar just as god had ordered it just as god had commanded it and abel is following following every detail in his obedience and god is looking down on abel and smiling cain is over here in close proximity and he has also built an altar and 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 he's put the wood up there and he's gone to his garden into his orchard and he's collected the finest zucchini he can find and the finest peaches he can find and the finest exotic fruit that he can find. And he's not taken uh, the leftover, the scrums. He's picked the best of the best. He's collected them maybe into a bushel basket and he's brought them there and he's ordered them by color and he stacked them up and made them very, very nice. And he presents his work that he's worked so hard by his hand to the Lord. I can even hear Cain justifying this. Well, Abel is a keeper of the sheep and he brought the work of his hand. Why can't I bring the work of my hand? And God is saying here, listen, no, that's not what I want. I want you to go to your brother's flock and take a lamb and offer that because that's what I've commanded. Do you see what we have here? We have the very beginning 
of the two religious systems of the world in the fourth chapter of the Bible. You have faith to salvation and you have works to salvation. Abel is bringing faith to be saved and Cain is bringing his works to the Lord and he expects to be saved through the work of his hand. Boy, Satan used the same trick with Cain and he he hoodwinked Cain the way he has hoodwinked billions of people and taken them to hell over the history of mankind. It is faith versus works. What is rebellion? It's going against God's plan. It's going against God's order. It's believing that I know better than you know. Uh, it's believing that I know better than authority knows. His rebellion. God said, bring a lamb. Cain said, God, I know better than you. I don't want to bring a lamb. I'm going to bring my work. Now, notice that I worded the uh, uh, point number two, the problem with Cain's faith. I really want you to hear what I'm about to say here. This is a very important distinction. It isn't that Cain didn't have faith. It's that Cain had misplaced faith. His faith was in himself. When I'm witnessing to someone and asking them about their salvation, I'll ask them, what are you depending on to get to heaven? And an answer I get back sometimes is, I have faith. We all live our life by faith. We all live our life by faith. It isn't, do you have faith? It's, is your faith in God's plan for salvation or is your faith in anything else? Because if our faith is in anything else, then we have a spirit of unbelief toward God. And that's what sends people to hell. So Cain's faith was misplaced. Someone here, this is more of a, um, uh, this is almost more like a 945 life group hour size than it is a, uh, a Wednesday evening church service, right? So let's, let's interact this evening. You all wake up, alright, I know you've had a long day, you've been working and you're tired and, you know, you feel weak between the shoulder blades and you're ready to go home and go to bed, but, uh, uh snap to it here for me. Pretend as though you had a big cup of coffee before you came in the door this evening and speak to me here, okay? Let me, uh, let me ask you, uh, some questions this evening. Uh, Cain. All that, I forgot my question. All right. He rebelled. He rebelled. His faith, oh, who was Cain's faith in? Where was his faith? And specifically, it was in himself. God, I don't need you. I'm good enough to do this on my own. Right? I'm going to bring my works to you, and I expect you to accept my works. Letter B, notice his rejection. Now, I mean his rejection here two ways. He rejected God, and God rejected him. But notice who rejected who first. He rejected God, and then God rejected him. Listen, this isn't complicated, folks. God makes it very simple for anyone to get saved. But we are ornery and we're stubborn and we're rebellious and we want to do it our way. And God says, look, there's one way into heaven and it's by faith. And that's it. Look at verse number um, uh, five here. We see the, the, the back and forth rejection. But unto Cain and to his offering, 
he, speaking of God, had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou do well, shalt thou not be accepted? Look, if you'll just go back and, and get it right, do it right, I will accept you. I will respect you. I will, I will, I will make you righteous if you'll just do it my way. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him. What does that mean? That means sin lieth at the door. Look, I will send a lamb and it will lay down at your doorstep. Go pick it up and bring it. I can't make it any easier for you. Salvation cannot be any easier. Listen, if I can be saved as a four-year-old child... And, and I'm not the sharpest knife in the, in the, in the box, uh, or in the drawer. See, I can't even get the phrase right. I'm not the, the, the brightest bulb in the janitor's closet. Uh, uh, if I can, if I can be saved at four, this really isn't a complicated thing. He says, sin lieth at the door. Hey, listen, if you'll just go back and you'll exercise faith and you'll do it my way, I'll save you. And, and Cain brought the wrong offering. God clearly did not endorse, clearly did not accept, clearly rejected. That And Cain, he says to him, listen, just go back and do it right. And you know what Cain does? He digs his heels in and he says, no, no, I reject you. You reject me. Now I'm going to reject you back. And the rejection would continue. Look down at verse 16. The rejecting back and forth would continue till we get to verse 16. And Cain went out. From the presence of the Lord. You know where this back and forth rejecting of each other landed? It landed to Cain walking away from God for good. Where is Cain today? He's in hell. You know why? Because in his pride, in his self-faith, he rejected God's plan. Let her see, notice his rage. His rage. Um, I'm amazed how people... rebel, and then when they're corrected, they get angry about it. How many here ever raised teenagers? Right? Miss Pauline, you've had, you've had teenagers, you've had grandchildren that were teenagers, you've had great-grandchildren that were teenagers, right? You've seen three generations of teenagers come up. Brother Okai, how many teenagers did you raise? Four? Three? Okay. Uh, Elizette, you raised a couple, right? You got a couple on the way. I got a couple on the way. Yeah? Oh, you're the third one, okay? You had a, you had a couple. Uh, you three are just leaving the teen world, right? Uh, you, you guys have two teenagers on the way, John and Kelly. You've got a couple of teenagers on the way, right? And you know what's funny about teenagers is you've had the same rules in your house, for 13, 14, 15 years. And they had no problem following the rules the first 10, 11. I mean, maybe when they were little. But you, from 5 to about 12, they, they just follow the rules. And then when they turn 13, all of a sudden, what I got to do that? Why can't I say that? Why can't I go there? Why can't I? And then when you come down and punish them, all of a sudden they get angry. And you're going, this has been the rule your whole life. What's the problem here? 
God came down to Cain and said, uh, listen, I made this clear to you and you were a little child. You watched mom and dad bring the lamb and bring it as an offering. And you saw me accept it. And you've seen your brother do it. And now you are your own grown man. It's your turn to have your own faith. And you want to do it different. And then you want to get angry when I don't accept it. But that's what happens when we rebel and we're rejected we show rage. Look at verse 5. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. See the anger there? The rage, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Hey, he's walking around with his shoulders stooped and his bottom lip out, and he's pouting and, and moping. Look at verse number 7. If thou doest well, or rather skip down to verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He slew him. Look down at verse 13. So his, his rejection by God, his rebellion leads to rejection, which leads to rage, which, which leads to Abel being murdered. Look down at verse 13. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. He didn't say, Lord, you're right. I've done wrong. I, I'm repenting. He said, Lord, you're being too hard on me. This isn't right. Sound like a teenager? Verse 14, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond, and the earth and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. Even the Lord in his punishment shows grace. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, uh, uh, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So we see here that rebellion leads to rejection that leads to rage. So let's not follow Cain's example. Let's follow Abel's example. Let's finish up the Bible study here. Notice point number three, the price of Abel's faith. The price of Abel's faith. What did it cost Abel for believing in the Lord and doing it the Lord's way? It cost him his life. Cain murdered him, not because he was lifted up in pride, because he did it the right way. He did it the right way. Look back at verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. When I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord about that word talked. Did he talk to him or yell at him? Was, he, uh, was this a civil discourse? I have a hard time believing that this was a civil discourse. I doubt it was, hey, how was your day yesterday? Whack! I'm sure there was some screaming and yelling probably going back and forth here. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now, in Cain's defense, in Cain's defense, he didn't know that, he didn't know what murder was. He didn't know you know how to kill someone. I don't know, because no one had ever murdered anyone before. Right? That had never happened. And so I don't know that Cain was trying to kill his brother. This could have been uh, manslaughter. But nonetheless, he killed him. He killed him. In his rage, he, he, he hit him and he ended up killing him. I don't know that it was premeditated murder. I think it was probably just his anger got the best of him and one thing led to another. I could, I could have that wrong. Uh, that's my interpretation of things. It ended up costing him his life. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. 
and verse number 4, speaking of the price of Abel's faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was a righteous man, righteous, that he was righteous rather, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, he being dead yet speaketh. The price of Abel's faith. Um, Christian, when we really have a true faith, it ought to change us enough to where the world becomes uncomfortable with who we are. At least a little bit. At least a little bit. When I was a um, freshman in Bible college, I came home one summer, that summer, staying with my parents. And a friend of mine I'd gone to high school with named Matt. Matt got me a job uh, working at a warehouse. So I drove a double pallet jack, and I put together pallets, um, selected uh, items uh, out of a warehouse that would go to a grocery store. If you ever go to a grocery store and the produce section, and you see a pallet and it has boxes of fruits and vegetables, I was building those pallets. That's what I was doing. And so we'd have a pre-shift meeting, and I'd go upstairs for the pre-shift meeting uh, at uh, a little before 7 a.m. every morning. And what I, no, I, I don't remember the time. Anyway, I'd get there 20 minutes for work, and I'd be, uh, be putting my things in my locker, and I would hear the most vile language pouring out of these men's mouths. It'd be disgusting. And then at lunchtime, it'd be telling stories about how they got drunk or what they paid some girl to do. It was vile. And then uh, on the way out the door, especially on a Friday evening, on a payday, they'd all be talking about how they were going to some strip club after work. You know, I, I felt uncomfortable in that environment. But then word got around that I was a Christian, and they began to make me feel uncomfortable in that environment. They began to make me feel like something was wrong with me. I can remember conversation coming out about how that I was still a virgin, because I, this was obviously prior to being married. And, and, and I began to get called gay, and all sorts of homophobic slurs were thrown at me because I had maintained my purity. You know what? My faith was beginning to cost me something. Now, there are two attitudes Christians take toward this. If you are here tonight and you read Genesis 4 4 or Hebrews 11 4, or Genesis 4 8 and Hebrews 11 4 rather, and you think, oh, well, then maybe I should reconsider having faith because I don't want to suffer. I don't want that there to be a price. My friend, you're missing the essence of what faith is. Faith is supposed to suffer. And, and, and in the Christian world, suffering is a good thing. My, uh, my brother in law is on deputation. Uh, to be a missionary to the Fiji Islands. He grew up there as a missionary uh, missionary's child, and uh, his parents have worked there. And, I mean, they're living in, they're not vacationing, right? And Fiji's a nice place, but they're not vacationing. They're living in poor neighborhoods, and they're reaching uh, folks with the gospel. But my brother-in-law, Josh, was at my house a couple of weeks ago. He spent the night at our house. And, and I got talking to him, and he told me about a book he's been reading about the underground church in China. And he said that, uh, and not that it's underground. You all get this, right? These are churches that are meeting in secrecy behind the communist government. He said a lot of things about this book that just fascinated me. But he said one of the things that these, these, these Chinese Christians pray for is not that God will take away the persecution, that God will help them grow because of the persecution. 
Persecution is such a normal part of being a Christian in China that it is expected. In fact, if they're not persecuted, they begin to think maybe my Christianity isn't right. Maybe I'm not doing it right because I'm not being persecuted. Here, the slightest, the, the, the smallest slight, our direction, and all of a sudden, well, oh, I can't believe they said this. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Oh, I can't believe I got fired. Oh, I can't believe I can't be a part of this or that. Or, or this person won't talk to me. Or this person attacked me on social media. Or this person's backing off of me, uh, backing away from me. My friend, we need to get to a day where we expect We expect people to be uncomfortable around us because our faith is so strong. If your faith is not costing you something, then your faith is weak. Your faith is weak. It costs Abel his life. Praise God, Abel is in heaven. Notice number four, and lastly, the the plea of Abel's blood. The plea of Abel's blood. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. And look at verse number 9. We're going to end on a neat, a really neat theological note here. And the Lord said unto Cain, Hebrews, or Genesis 4, 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? Look at God's response here. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Blood has a voice. And only God hears that voice. And what was that voice crying out for? It was crying out for justice. Hey, this man murdered me. What are you going to do about it, God? I took a stand for you and he murdered me. He killed me. He spilled my blood on the ground. What are you going to do about it? And God came down and he punished. Now, why? Because God is the ultimate punisher. Um, I am glad... That uh, while Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, Jesus' blood cries out for victory. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, into the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Jesus' blood also has a voice. Um, Abel's blood cried out for punishment and vengeance and justice. Jesus' blood cries out for forgiveness and mercy and freedom. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus came along and shed his blood, and his blood has a voice as well. And we are forgiven through that blood. By the way, that blood spilled on that altar that Abel offered up that offering, uh, that blood was representative of the blood of the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And so the plea of Abel's blood. Um, uh, Christian, tonight, just let me ask you this. Does your faith cost you anything? Does your faith cost you anything? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a word of prayer. And um, uh, you will be dismissed.
I'm going to hang here. And if if we've got about five or six minutes for everyone else's out. Can you believe it? I'm finishing early. This is great. This is a miracle. Miracles happen, right? Uh, But if you like, if you like, I'll stay here. And if you have any Bible question about either about the study tonight or about uh, any just a Bible question you've wanted answered, and I happen to know the answer, I'll answer it. If not, I'll get back to you, all right? So let's have a word of prayer. Feel free to hang around, and we can have a public Q&A. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your blood that was spilled to wash away our sins. We're thankful for uh, Abel's faith that he had uh, in, in you and in the, in the lamb that would come and die for his sins. Lord, we don't look... Uh, uh, forward to the Messiah, Lord, we look back to the Christ who died for our sins. And we're thankful for you, Jesus. We're thankful that you have died for us. We're thankful that you have saved us. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to not just be saved by faith, but we go forth and live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.